Hello, happy whatever day it is that you are listening to this. I've decided that The Garden is my official podcast recording studio now because it is just so delightful here. So if you are hearing birds or planes or whatever the heck sounds are going to come in the next hour, just ignore it, please. Today we are doing a Q&A and I am excited. I put up a question box. I feel like I say I am excited in every single episode. I need to find a new phrase. That's It's getting embarrassing. I start with the same intro every single time. But anyways, I'm just an excited person. What can I say? I put up a question box on my story yesterday asking for your questions that you want me to answer in this episode today. I have not read through any of them yet. I have not looked at it. I am just going to spitfire all of these questions and go through them as I see them and answer whatever comes into my head. I haven't planned any responses or anything. So we're just doing a little improv today. So let's hit it. Welcome to the Intentional Health Podcast, a space for women to be empowered with the real, no BS truth about their health. But to be honest, this podcast goes far beyond physical health. Join me each week as I share stories, science, and thoughts with you on everything surrounding womanhood. You can pretend we're just two girlfriends chatting over some homemade mocktails or a warm glass of raw milk, because that's how I want these conversations to feel. I'm not about formalities. I share the details no one wants to say out loud and answer the questions we've all secretly been asking. So welcome, friend. I'm so glad that you're here. All right, first question we got. She said, I cannot get raw milk in Canada. What else can I get instead? So first of all, the facts that raw milk is illegal in Canada, but like cocaine isn't illegal. Don't like, oh my gosh, Canada's a whole weird place. But um, I have found out from all of the Canadians that have DM'd me that you can get raw milk in Canada if you buy a share of a cow, something like that. Like if you, you can like own part of a cow and then you're allowed to have access to its milk, but obviously not everyone can do that. So if you don't have access to raw milk wherever you live, the next best option would be vat pasteurized milk which is basically milk that's temper- that are, that's pasteurized at a low temperature. Wow, that bird is so loud, so beautiful. Um, it's milk that's pasteurized at a low temperature, so it might also be called low-temp pasteurized milk, um, and it's not going to kill all of the enzymes and goodness that's in it. If you can't get access to raw milk or low-temp pasteurized milk, personally, if I couldn't, I wouldn't drink milk, only because I know that all pasteurized milk really wow that bird is just she's singing us a song i had to stop the recording because the bird was getting so loud she really just wants to be famous on the intentional health podcast but i stopped this recording for 10 minutes and she's still going so we're just we're just gonna let her sing her song anyways back to the milk so personally i would not um drink milk if it were fully pasteurized because it hurts my stomach Other people can tolerate it just fine. So if you do tolerate pasteurized milk well, I would just make sure that you're getting a good quality grass-fed organic milk and also make sure it's an A2 milk. So either an A2 cow milk or all goat's milks are A2. And that just means, that just designates basically like the type, the amino acid structure of the milk. You have A1 milk and A2 milk and A2, um, 
milk is more similar to the amino acid structure of human milk, so it's a lot more digestible. So I would look for a grass-fed organic A2 milk. And if your gut tolerates it, then amazing. Next question, what small steps or changes would you recommend starting with to be better to your body? I love this question because I love that she asks about small steps because I feel like so many people when they're starting just their health journey in general, they feel like they have to do all the things at once and they try to completely transform their whole life in the span of a few days. And most of the time doing that, you're going to crash and burn because it's, it's so overwhelming to completely transform your lifestyle all at once. And then you feel like a failure, but you're not, you just, you just try to take on too much at once and it's okay to take baby steps. I always tell people just focus on getting 1% better every single day. Implement one new habit a week, one new habit a month. If you need to, my, I I did not get to the place that I am in with my hormone health overnight. This, what you see today is a process of years and years of slowly changing my diet and my lifestyle and creating these little habits to create the level of health that I'm at today. It was not an overnight fix and yours doesn't have to be either. So small changes, it's really going to depend on the person. You have to do what works for you. I would recommend trying to make one small lifestyle change and one small nutritional change that feels good to you and continue doing that until it feels sustainable and then add the next one. So for your lifestyle, it could be, hey, I'm just going to get my morning sun in my eyes every single morning. I'm going to go out when the sun comes up and I'm going to get 10 minutes of sunlight in my eyes and I'm going to start building that habit. Or it could be, I'm going to turn my red light filter on, on my phone at night so that I'm not getting blue light in my eyes an hour before bed. Or for nutrition, it could be, I'm going to start taking an organ meat capsule, or maybe I'm just going to remove the seed oils for my diet. It's, it can be such a simple thing that can make such a big impactful difference. Focus on the foundational things. Don't focus on all these quick fixes and little tricks and tips that you hear from these Instagram influencers that just are wanting to have something that sounds good. Like focus on the foundational things that your sleep, your circadian rhythm, nutrient dense foods, the removing the foods that are inflammatory. And you will be surprised to see how those little changes make such a big difference. All right. Next question I see she is asking number one thing to do when trying to get pregnant. Number one thing in my opinion, would be your, it's, it's hard to pick number one, but if I had to absolutely pick a number one, I would say your nutrition and flooding your body with nutrient dense fertility foods. So that looks like egg yolks, that looks like oysters, um, organ meats, good quality red meat. All of these foods are going to fill your body with the nutrients that your body needs to be able to create a healthy baby. And if I had to pick another number two, because I'm going to pick a number two, I would make sure that you are living a lifestyle that is supportive of healthy cortisol levels, which is also a lifestyle that is supportive of a healthy circadian rhythm. So we want to get our sunlight. We want to avoid that harmful excess blue light. We want to be getting enough sleep. All of these things are going to be extremely important as well for your body to feel safe to get pregnant. All right, next question is asking, what vegetables do you include in your animal-based diet, if any? So this has been quite a journey for me because to give you a little bit of backstory, I 
came to an animal-based diet years ago when I was trying to heal my gut health and I was having terrible gut issues, blah, blah, blah. And I, at that time, went full-on full on carnivore diet. And at that time, that is what I needed to heal my gut. Um, it was basically an elimination diet. Um, and that's what my body needed at that time. Since then, I have evolved. My gut has evolved. And I don't need those tools anymore because I am in a much healthier place. And so I used to avoid every vegetable on the face of the earth because for me, they really irritated my gut. But now I've really started to enjoy some veggies. Again, I'm pretty selective of what I eat. So I will eat carrots. I will eat squash. I think squash is actually considered fruit. Um, I will have dark greens like kale or anything like that twice a month at certain parts of my cycle just to do a little bit of detoxification, but I will absolutely not have them all cycle long. And I will not ever buy any vegetables, especially dark greens that are not local and organic. So that I know for a fact they have not been just completely sprayed with pesticides. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it, it really just looks like some dark greens here and there. I'll have a salad once a week with some local um, bitter lettuce and carrots, squash, sweet potatoes. I know that's not a vegetable, but that's really all that I include. And then I eat an abundance of fruits. And this is what works for me. This is not what I'm saying anyone else should do, but this is what makes me feel good. And I've had a lot of trial and error and I love the way I eat. So I'm not saying anyone else has to do this, but it's definitely helped my gut health a ton to make those adjustments vegetables that I do not eat and likely will very rarely eat again are things like broccoli, um, bell peppers, um, asparagus, things like that. They are personally for me, um, don't make my gut feel good. I get bloated from them. I get gas and it's just not conducive of good gut health for me. And I don't feel that I need those foods because I get my nutrients elsewhere. Also, one more point that I want to add to this, and I think the most important change that I made is I don't eat raw vegetables anymore at all. Everything that I listed, especially like the carrots and things like that, I only eat them very well cooked and that makes them much more digestible and my gut seems to love that a lot and tolerate it a lot better. So even like my um, my dark greens, like my kale and stuff, I'll saute it in butter for a while and make stir fry with it. Um, I won't eat it raw. The only thing that I'll eat raw is obviously like my salad greens in a salad that I make um, and I'll only have that maybe once a week. All right, moving on to the next question. She is asking, how do you know you're not going to get sick when you eat raw? If you told me, even two years ago, that I would be taking raw liver shots on an almost daily basis, I think I would have thought that I was absolutely insane. And it's so funny because now it's like, I look so forward to it. It's like the most normal thing in the world to me, but I do understand how it genuinely looks absolutely insane. And I'm not saying anyone has to do it. Take your desiccated liver capsules if you want. Um, but for me, the reason that I feel safe about it, one is because it is beef liver. I would never, ever, ever have any kind of raw chicken organs or pork or anything like that. I would only do raw beef 
And um, the other reason is that I get it from a local farm where I personally know the farmer and I trust that their animals are extremely healthy, very well taken care of, and their butchering process is very, very clean and safe. That is the only reason that I feel comfortable doing it raw. I don't think I would eat raw liver from a farm that I did not know and trust. I definitely wouldn't do it from liver that I got at the grocery store, even though I, knew, I do know people that do that and they're fine, but personally, I wouldn't do that. Um, so I think it's just about knowing the quality of your food and that brings you a lot more comfort. It's just, it's the same with raw dairy. I wouldn't drink raw dairy if it wasn't coming from a farm that I knew and trusted. Um, and not to say that I know my dairy farmers super well, but it is a reputable farm and I know a lot of people that drink her milk and love it and she's a wonderful lady. Um, but yeah, raw, raw is definitely not for everyone and that's okay. Um, but it is something that I have come to really enjoy. And it's all honestly just like the only reason I do it or not the only reason, but one of the big reasons I do it is just, just the easiest way for me to get my organ meats in because swallowing, wow, that sounded like a, like an elephant. Oh my goodness. Um, cause raw liver just slides down my throat a lot easier than a pill does, which usually gets stuck and it just, it feels better for me. So that's why I do it. All right, next question. This is a juicy one because I have quite a strong opinion on this and I got uh, scrolling through probably six or seven questions on this and I have not yet talked about this on Instagram um, because I wanna make sure I am bringing all of the absolute best facts um, when I talk about it so that I don't get too much backlash. Um, but I'm going to give you my real raw thoughts right here on PCOS. So PCOS is something that so many women struggle with these days. And when they're diagnosed with it, their doctor gives them this diagnosis as if it's this like end all be all like this is your life sentence and there's nothing you can do about it. And nothing makes me more angry than that because PCOS is simply a dysfunction in your hormones that came from poor hormone health, that came from hormone imbalances, that came from nutritional misalignments, poor lifestyle, things like that. And so when it is caused by those things, it can also be fixed by those things. PCOS is not something that is irreversible that you can never like do anything about you can never heal and you're just going to suffer with it your whole life and I hate that that's the narrative around it there is so much empowerment that a woman can have to heal herself from PCOS and I'm not saying that it's easy but I'm saying that it is very very possible and if it is something that was caused through lifestyle nutrition birth control all the things it is something that can then be healed by flipping those things. So I truly, truly believe that if a woman follows a hormone supportive lifestyle, if a woman follows a hormone supportive diet, if she is fasting in alignment with her cycle, all of these things, I truly believe she can heal her PCOS to the point where she does not suffer from it anymore at all. And I hate that this is even a controversial opinion because the fact that we have been so disempowered by Western medicine 
with the idea that healing ourselves is something like crazy and absurd. It just makes me so sad because these problems, they're not normal. They don't just come out of nowhere. And women used to not suffer with these things. Things like PCOS, endometriosis are very new problems in the women's health space. And so the fact that someone can tell us that we have no control over it is just really frustrates me. So if you are suffering with PCOS, know that you do have a lot of empowerment in healing your own body through nutrition, through lifestyle, all of those things. You can fix it and get rid of these symptoms. And birth control is absolutely not the answer for it. It is only going to make it worse. So empower yourself with the right choices to heal yourself. I promise you it is possible. Next question. Someone is asking tips for eating while traveling and being out of your normal routine. I have two different opinions on this because I think I think there's a time and place for wanting to stay on quote unquote on track with your nutrition and your lifestyle and all that while you're traveling. And I think that's a beautiful thing if you want to do that. And I also think there's a time and place for wanting to have a little fun and stray away from your normal routine and eat the quote unquote bad foods and that's okay too. And you should be able to enjoy that. And I think you need to know when one or the other is appropriate for you. There have been many trips that I have gone on in the last um, few months where I have been really intentional about pre-cooking and packing all of the food so that I can eat good food on the plane. I can put it in the hotel fridge and eat for the few days that we're there. And that matters to me a lot because I want to feel good on that trip. And when I get backlash from women for doing that, it makes me sad because I'm doing something that makes me feel good. But there are also times that I go on a trip and I'm just like, screw it. I, <laughs> my security rhythm is going to be thrown off. I'm going to eat donuts all day and I'm going to have my fun and that's okay too. And I'm probably going to feel a little crappy afterwards and I might delay my ovulation a little bit, but you know what? That's life. And that's okay. And that was an intentional choice that I made at that time that brought me joy. And so there's room for both. So I think when you're traveling, you first need to decide what your intention is. Is my intention that it's really, really important to me on this particular trip to stay in alignment so that I feel good? Maybe that's what I need mentally right now. And that's great. If so, then what I recommend is find some simple, easy, like travel foods that you can bring with that are going to make you feel good. So like, for example, something I love to pack is raw cheese because it can stay unrefrigerated for a while. So I'll bring some raw cheese and a lunchbox on the plane. I'll bring some fruits like bananas and apples that don't go bad very easily. Um, I will usually hard boil some eggs and then put it in a lunchbox, like a little, little cooler. Um, so that I can bring that with. I love to bring pistachios and things like that. There's so many snacks, like beef jerky. There's so many snacks when you think about it that don't require a lot of effort that you can bring with. But then also when I'm traveling, I want to be really intentional. I'll usually go to the grocery store first thing when I get there and get things like some good quality milk that I can keep in my fridge, or I'll get some hard boiled eggs, or I'll get some raw cheese when I'm there. I'll get just whatever makes me feel good. Um, and that's what works for me. And then when I go, if I go out to eat while I'm traveling, obviously I have grace for myself knowing I'm not going to make a perfect choice, but I will still try to make the best choice I can and eat the, the most like whole food that I can. But yeah, if, if I'm traveling and I want to have fun, I'm going to do that as well. And I think, I think a big part of it is having a 
massive amount of grace for yourself and knowing that things are not going to be perfect and that's okay because that is life. And two days or even seven days of not eating perfectly hormone-supportive foods or following a perfectly hormone-supportive lifestyle is not the end of the world and it's not going to completely throw off your journey and you're going to be okay and allow yourself to experience the joy of it. Have fun. I do not, don't do things perfectly all the time. I, there are days when we went to, to Denver um, a few months ago, I literally think there was a day that all I ate before like 3 p.m. was like three donuts. And I did feel like crap, but you know what? They were really good donuts and it brought me a lot of joy. So I hope that's a good explanation of this. I have grace for yourself, loosen up, enjoy your life, find some joy, but also when you want to be intentional, set those intentions. It's just all about the intention behind it. All right, next question is my favorite podcast to listen to. That is a good question. Let me open let me open my podcast app and see. Well, I can already tell you my number one favorite podcast in the entire world and probably my biggest role model and favorite human ever is Rachel Hollis. I love her so much. I've been following her for maybe six years now and listening to her podcast religiously and just she is the whole reason that I even started a podcast and have done a lot of the things that I've done in life. And if you haven't listened to her podcast, go listen to it. It is called the Rachel Hollis podcast. And she's just my biggest role model. If any of you somehow know her personally and want to let her be my best friend, I would love that. <laughs> but anyways, the other podcast that I listen to, I love the Fundamental Health podcast by Paul Saldino. I used to listen to that a ton. I love Huberman Lab with Andrew Huberman. I really am a huge science nerd, so I like the the sciencey podcasts. Um, I love the Holistic OBGYN with Nathan Riley. That's an amazing hormone health, birth, all the things kind of podcast. Um, I recently just started listening to The Spillover with Alex Clark because one of my followers recommended it to me, and it is fantastic. I highly recommend. Um, I listen to The Game with Alex Hormozzi. Here and there, I'll listen to the Ed Milet show when there's an episode that sparks my my attention. Um, I think I think those are the main ones that I listen to. But Rachel Hollis is the only one that I listen to religiously every single week. All the others are just kind of like dispersed, like whenever I feel like it. All right, next question is asking top causes and solutions for painful period cramps. If you saw the post that I made, I think like a week ago, it was called your period is the report card of your health, something like that. And I I need to do a whole podcast episode on this, but basically I talked about how when you get your period, if you are getting a lot of painful cramps, if you're getting PMS symptoms, things like that, that is your report card of how you took care of your health in the previous three weeks leading up to your period. So if you are not um, having a hormone-supported lifestyle, eating nutrient-dense foods, I know I sound like a broken record, but it's because it's true, then you are going to experience the aftermath of that on your period. So especially if you're not taking care of your luteal phase, which is the two weeks right before your period, when your progesterone is the dominant hormone, you're going to get PMS. Sometimes you're going to get cramps. So the best thing that you can be doing is avoiding your blue light, supporting your circadian rhythm by getting your morning light, getting your evening light, getting sunlight on your skin during the day, going to bed at appropriate times and getting enough sleep, eating your nutrient-dense foods, 
all of these things are extremely, extremely important to have a healthy, to have healthy hormone levels, to then have a healthy and pain-free cycle. And I can give you firsthand experience on this just in the last few months because I, my normal cycle is very healthy. I don't get a painful period. I don't get PMS symptoms. I have a relatively like a, a cycle that goes by unnoticed, really. I don't I don't think about my cycle on a day-to-day basis because I'm never in pain or suffering from a lot of symptoms. But in the month of, was it April or was it March? A month or two ago, I had a really rough month where I was working so many hours. I would work late, late nights, so I had my blue light in my eyes, didn't turn on my red screen, don't kill me. Um, I wasn't getting enough sleep. I was not eating a lot of nutrient dense foods because I was working so much and I just wasn't giving myself the time to prep my foods, which I take full responsibility for. I don't think it, I don't think that we should ever sacrifice our health for our work, but in that particular month, that is just what happened. I did not exercise a lot. I was sitting in a chair for hours and hours and hours a day without getting up to go for my walks and move. It was just, it was just a harder month. I was working a lot. And that was the first month in probably a year that I had the most insane period symptoms. Literally two days. First of all, my period came late because I delayed my ovulation because I was really stressed out. And then my period, so my period came late because of my delayed ovulation. Two days before my period, I started getting the most insane cramps. I was so fatigued. I thought I was getting sick. And then for the first two days of my period, I was just in so much pain. And it was so funny and humbling to me because I was like, wow, this is literally what I tell women. If our period is the report card of our health each month. And I got an F on my report card that month. I had a really rough period because I had not cared for my body whatsoever that month. And my body told me, my body gave me a sign. And you know what? I think that is so beautiful. And it was really, it was a good, nice eye-opening experience for me to be like, oh, hey, this next month, I better be on my A game and start taking care of myself again because my body's really not happy with me. And so that's a long-winded way to say for painful cramps and painful periods, it is your body communicating with you that you are not taking care of it properly. And so we need to give our body love and grace and fill it with the things that it needs to thrive. Moving on to the next question. How often do you dry brush? I would love to tell you that I do it every single day. I absolutely do not. Do not. Um, I dry brush my face every day because it feels good and it takes literally like 20 seconds. Well, dry brushing my body literally takes two minutes, but it's just something that I forget sometimes. I probably right now do it a couple times a week, probably like three or so times a week in the mornings. Um, but I would love to get myself into the habit of doing it every single morning because it really does make me feel good. Moves around that lymphatic fluid. Feels like a good piece of self-care. Um, but yeah, probably like two to three or three to four times a week right now. I hear you, I know, you hate ad breaks, but I just can't hold myself back from sharing my favorite product in the world with you right now. So just bear with me, okay? If you're like me, you've been searching far and wide for skincare that is free of harmful ingredients, smells so dreamy you just wanna eat it, and makes your skin glow like no other. 
Look no further because Ella Skin Co. is everything you've dreamed of and more. These ultra-luxurious products are made only with the highest quality, locally sourced tallow, and those dreamy scents? They come from fresh herbs infused into the products by the warmth of the sun. Skincare doesn't get better than this. I am truly obsessed. Use code KYLA10 for 10% off your first order and experience the Ella difference. Ella Skin Co. Simple, nourishing, luxurious. Next question, could ovulation be delayed because of being sick? Yes, absolutely, and that is totally normal and that is totally okay. If you are leading up to ovulation and you get the flu or whatever it is, your body is going to see that as a sign of like, hey, right now it's probably not safe to make a baby, so I'm gonna push back our ovulation to keep us safe and to keep this potential baby safe, and that's normal. So if you are sick, your ovulation will be delayed, your period is gonna come later, that is okay. That is your body doing its beautiful job. Your ovulation can also be delayed from jet lag, from stress, anything like that. Next question is asking, eating within 30 minutes of waking up. Metabolic eating are not for intermittent. That question does not make sense, but I know what they're trying to ask. Um, here's the thing. I very strongly disagree with the whole eating 30 minutes after waking up concept of the pro-metabolic diet. I don't, I'll go into small detail here, but I am recording an entire episode on this right now um, that I'll probably post in the next week or so because I've gotten so many questions about it and I want to make sure that I answer it in the right way. Um, but here's the thought that I'll leave you with right now. Humans are animals and we came from ancestors that did not have access to a refrigerator or to food 24 seven. Therefore, the human species that we have come from did not have the ability to eat 30 minutes after waking up. In fact, they did not probably have the ability to eat hours after waking up because they had to hunt and gather and grow their own food. And because of that, humans were literally designed too fast naturally. We were not designed to be eating at all hours of the day. And so to say that humans literally cannot be metabolically or hormonally healthy if we're not eating right after waking up or eating constantly throughout the day, it feels very naive to me. And I understand the reasoning behind it because a lot of women do have very unhealthy cortisol levels, which is just a byproduct of today's way of living. And so those women should not be fasting for super long periods of time. They need to heal their cortisol. They need to heal their hormones. But to say that all people, all women need to be eating 30 minutes without waking up or they cannot be healthy, in my opinion, is very close-minded. And I am a huge um, advocate for fasting, for fasting alignment with your cycle, for fasting for good gut health, all these different things. There's so many benef benefits to it. And obviously there's a lot of nuances around it, but... I never eat 30 minutes after waking up. Uh, that makes me feel like crap, to be honest. I usually eat one to two hours after waking up. I have very healthy hormones. I have very healthy metabolism. Um, different things work for different people. And what if that works for you, eating 30 minutes after waking up, that's amazing. Good for you. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I also don't think that that is the only way to do things or else you can't be healthy. So I'll go into a full podcast episode about that soon, but that is just my quick opinion on it. Next question is asking hormone tips for nine to fivers who sit at a computer all day. I get this. And I think a lot of people don't realize that I also sit at a computer for most of the day as well, but I obviously have 
the luxury of being able to do it in my home and sit wherever I want. And I'm aware of how much of a privilege that is. But that being said, there are things that I implement um, in my daily routine as well that I think can be really helpful for anyone working a nine to five job in front of a computer. Um, first of all, getting a blue light filter on your computer screen. There's a computer app that I use. It's called Iris. I think it only works on Macs. Um, but there is one for, um, PCs and I'm not sure the name of it, but it essentially like filters out, out the blue light on your screen. So it'll make your, your screen more of like a yellow tint, um, or at night it'll make it fully red. And that is going to be really helpful on your eyes and on your cortisol level. I would also recommend getting blue light glasses if you're staring at a screen all day um, to just mitigate all of the effects of the blue light. Something else that I would highly recommend doing is every single hour standing up, whether you go for a quick little five minute walk, whether you do a little five minute stretch, whatever it is, take your eyes off of your screen and move your body to get some blood circulating, to get your lymphatic fluid um, draining. That is going to help you so, so much to feel good and to have healthier hormones. Another thing I would recommend if you can depending on where you work. If you work from home, you can do this. <laughs> you think People think you're a little funny if you do this at an office, but who the heck cares? Um, a floor desk is one of the biggest um, changes that I made in my day-to-day work life that has really improved my health. I literally have a desk that is like a foot and a half off the ground, however high it is. And so I am sitting crisscross applesauce. I'm sitting with my legs straight. I'm sitting with my legs, but like all, I change positions like every 30 minutes and it's much more conducive for good hip health and back health and blood flow and all the things, not really specifically pertaining to hormone health, but just health in general. And then I also, I know this is a huge luxury, but I usually take mine outside. I work outside most of the day, um, at my floor desk on my computer and getting that natural light in your eyes is really helpful. If you can't do that, you can sit by a window, which is going to be great as well. Um, But if you can't do that, try to get yourself outside at least a couple times a day to get some sunlight in your eyes. Really, like when we're talking about hormone health and working a nine to five at a computer, we're mainly focusing on cortisol levels. So we just want to do things that are conducive of lowering our cortisol throughout the day to mitigate the cortisol spikes from the blue light, the fluorescent lights from sitting all day, things like that. So easy things like movement, getting some light in your eyes can make a massive difference. And obviously make sure you're bringing some good quality nutrient-dense foods to work. Don't be having a coffee every three hours, even though I know they taste good. So little changes like that. Next question, we're getting personal, kind of TMI it says, but how do you plan sex around the fertility awareness method? So, Everyone does this differently, a little bit differently, but I don't want to get pregnant, you guys, (laughs) right now, at least. And so I don't want to take any chance. And so what I do is basically once my period ends, when I am entering my follicular phase, I know that I ovulate a little bit later. I usually ovulate around day 15 or 17. And so I don't get cervical fluid for the first maybe like three or four days of my um, my follicular phase. So I don't see that cervical fluid. I know I'm good. I'm safe. So I'll have sex, not worry about it. The second I notice cervical fluid, usually probably around day like eight, 
day nine, maybe, I will not have sex. And I just don't want to take the chance. And that's fine. A lot of people, what they'll do is they'll use condoms, they'll use other barrier methods, and they'll continue to have sex, or they'll just pull out, and they're comfortable with that. That makes me nervous. So I will stop having sex then, basically until I have confirmed ovulation, usually around day 15-ish. So that's not to say I don't, we don't enjoy ourselves in other ways, if you know what I mean. Um, but we do not have sex during that time. And then obviously after I've ovulated throughout my luteal phase till I get cervical fluid again in my next follicular phase, we don't worry about it at all because I've ovulated. And then the question right above that is asking what thermometer and app do you use to track your ovulation? Can you suggest others? So the thermometer that I use is called Femometer. It's like thermometer, but with an F. Um, and I have a link to that in my show notes, I believe. And then the app that I use is called Kindara. I absolutely love this app because it makes um, making your your um, temperature chart super just easy, very user-friendly. And both are free. Well, the thermometer is not free to buy, but I don't pay for any kind of like subscription with the thermometer. I use the free because basically like the thermometer is a Bluetooth thermometer. And so it takes my temp and the temp goes directly onto my phone onto the thermometer's app, but I don't pay a subscription for that app. And then I just go in manually each day or every few days and I'll take the temp and I'll tr manually transfer the temp over to the Kandara app, which I also use the free version of that. Um, so that's worked really well for me. That's what I've always done. Other recommendations. I know a lot of people love temp drop, which is the thermometer thing that like goes around your arms so you don't have to actually take your temperature. I've heard great things. I haven't tried it yet. Maybe soon in the future. Um, I feel like those are the two best things. I don't hear of any app that's like better than Kandara, to be honest. So those are the best recommendations in my opinion. The next question asks, do you want to be married someday? Do you want to have children? Of course I do, guys, but not yet. <laughs> well, I would, I would get married. I would get married soon, but I wouldn't have kids yet, mainly because there are a lot of exciting things planned that Jesse and I have in the next few years. Um, pretty soon we are planning on doing a lot of international travel, like living international for a handful of months. Um, we really want to do van life for a little bit. We, um, Jesse's biggest dream for as long as I know of has been to do the Pan American Trail, which is a trail that goes from I think it starts in Alaska and goes all the way down, like down the coast of Oregon, California, down the coast of North America, down Central America, down South America, all the way to the tip of South America in Chile, Argentina. Crap. I can't remember. Um, but it's a trail that goes across all of the Americas and he wants to do it on a motorcycle and that'll probably take about nine months. And we'll of course do that together. And so, you know, those are the kinds of things that you can't do when you have kids. And so there's just a, there are things that we want to do and exciting travels. And obviously we want to travel a ton once we have kids. Um, but there are just a few specific adventures that we want to do in the next couple of years before having kids. So who knows? Maybe we'll start having kids in like, honestly, like six or so years. That could change, but I'm, I'm pretty young. So that's how I feel right now. But you know, if he wants to pop the question, I would get married. <laughs>
Next question is asking, what is your fitness journey like now? A lot of you know that I have had quite the adventure of a fitness journey because I used to work in the fitness industry. That's how I kind of started on my whole health career, I guess you could say. And I worked in a very toxic environment in the fitness industry, which turned me into, they, they, they really trained me to be a very dogmatic person when it comes to fitness and as if there's only one right way and we should look down on the people that do things any other way and and laugh at them and it was very toxic and it really messed with my head for a while and gave me a very negative view of the fitness industry and gave me very like only one way mentality of fitness and so at that time I you know lifted a ton and I wasn't healthy and then once I left that space I started exploring all the different types of fitness and it's just, it's been I don't even know like how to put it into words it's been such a such a weird like mental journey for me in fitness but I've always absolutely loved it I've always been a huge um athletic person I've always loved lifting weights and I've been a rock climber since I was 15 years old I think um I have just always been really into fitness and that kind of stuff and then um, most of you know I started barefoot running. Well, I started running when I was 20, I think. Like, starting to compete in Spartan races and stuff. Then I started barefoot running after that and started competing um, barefoot. And it was, a, it was so much fun to me. So I, and I'm a huge nerd when it comes to fitness and all that. Like, I, the, like, fitness trainer side of me still exists very heavily because I am so obsessed with all the science around it. Um, so I still absolutely love it, but my fitness journey today definitely looks very different, especially because I've grown it to be a lot more hormone supportive. So like what a typical workout week looks for me right now. I'm very excited because Jesse finished training for his Ironman, which means we get to work out together again. So in the mornings we, so four days a week, which is Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays, we will go to the gym together in the morning and we'll lift some weights. We have two um, full body push days and two full body pull days, which is filled with all kinds of fun um, functional movements and all kinds of good things. I always write our programs. And then on Tuesdays, we have our sprint days where we'll go to the park early in the morning and we'll do lots of barefoot sprinting. We'll play a little pickleball, just have some fun around that. And then on Thursdays, we have our mobility day where we'll do a lot of more like calisthenic type work, but it requires a lot of mobility. So we'll have to do a lot of like hamstring mobility exercises. And I work on my handstands and just have some fun there. And then on Saturdays, we have our endurance day, which is we'll go for a run together on trail or we'll go for a bike ride. And so that's what it looks like right now. It's pretty fluid and fun. I don't have any specific goal besides just feeling good and definitely like you know performance wise like I love getting better at my handstands and things like that but yeah that's what it looks like right now and I love it I would definitely love to get back into the into competing I um was supposed to be basically like the whole last six months I was supposed to be training for a Spartan race that I was going to compete in it was actually supposed to be last week and I quit halfway through my training because it just did not feel like the right season for it. Um, and I'm really glad that I made that decision because it 
it, it just wasn't the right time, but that dream is still in my heart. And to, um, do that again is definitely something that I hope will happen soon to start competing, running barefoot. I'll do it. I'll do it in the next year or so, but right now it's just, just doesn't feel right. Okay. This episode is already the longest episode I've ever recorded. So I'm going to do one more question and then I'll be done and I'll have to save the rest of these for another episode. Um, the last question I see right now is reasons I might be bloated all the time. I eat healthy, but I can't seem to escape it. I have so much to say about this because I too used to think that I ate healthy and yet I had the worst gas you've ever experienced in your whole life. This is so TMI, but like I was known in my family for having horrible gas. It was so bad. And I would have to pull over on my way to work almost every single day to go to the bathroom because I literally couldn't make it to work without having to poop because my gut was so messed up and I was bloated and it was just awful. And at the time, I thought I was the epitome of health, which is so ironic. <laughs> at the time, I was also borderline vegan. So things that I changed to stop bloating. One... I cut out most of the vegetables from my diet. Well, at that time, I cut out all the vegetables from my diet. I only ate fruit and things like that. Um, I Well, I guess the, the transition that I made was to an animal-based elimination diet. It's like a carnivore elimination diet for a few months to reset my gut. But the specific things that affected bloating were cutting out the vegetables, cutting out grains. So I cut out oatmeal, flour-based things, um, pastas, cereals, granola bars, all those things, because that is also going to create bloating in the gut. Um, those were the two biggest things. But then I think doing the elimination diet and healing my gut health also made a huge difference. But if you are bloated and you are eating a ton of vegetables or grains or even smoothies, that is all going to um, contribute to the bloating. I love fruit, but I don't really have smoothies anymore because consuming that amount of fruit in that fast of a quantity, it it's not really conducive to good blood sugar or um, good or the lack of bloating because you're consuming way more fruit than you would consume if you were like actually eating it. You're consuming it way faster than you would if you were actually eating it. And it's all just like hitting your stomach so fast. Um, also like vegan protein powders and things like that. Oh my gosh, that gave me the most terrible gas and bloating and all the things. So those are a few things I would look to remove. But that is it. That is all I have for you guys today. This was a fun episode. We're gonna have to do this again. I enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed this and I hope I answered some questions that were helpful for you. Hopefully this wasn't super boring and you never want to listen to my podcast again. <laughs> I hope this was helpful and I answered some good questions. Let me know um, on, over on Instagram if you enjoyed this, if you want me to do another one of these. I would love you guys so much also if you would leave a review on this podcast. In fact, I would drive to your house and give you a hug if you lived nearby. <laughs> so please leave me a review. Share this on social. As always, I am so glad that you are here. Thank you for listening to this. Thank you for supporting my work. It truly means the world to me. I hope you have the most amazing week. Make this week count. I hope it is filled with all of the goodness and joy that you need. I am rooting for you and I am proud of you. <laughs>